always uh, reminds me of that song. Um, I don't know, probably showing my age here, that one that goes, I love a rainy night, I love a rainy night. You remember that one, Maddie? I can't remember who sung it. But anyway, I was lying in bed last night singing that. Put me to sleep, so I'm happy. Awesome. While I'm preparing myself, can I ask for three volunteers, please? Three volunteers, bring up your Bibles. Thanks, Alicia. There's one. Who else? Come on, don't be shy. Audience participation is good. Thanks, Vicky. Well done. And Come on, Jay. Well done. All right, can we have a microphone, please? All right, Alicia, you're going to find for me Luke 22.20. Vicky, if you can find for me Hebrews 7.18. And Jace, can you find Hebrews 8, verse 7? Luke 22.20. Okay, got that. Do I read it? Yep, when you're ready, you read it. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, um, saying, "This, this cup is the new covenant, in the blood which is poured out for you, but the hand of him who, no, I'm sorry, who is going to betray me is with mine on on the table. Yeah, that's, that's enough. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Hebrews seven eighteen. The old order of priesthood has been set aside as weak and powerless. Yep. Cool. Keep going. No, that's fine. What was mine? And Jace, you are Hebrews 8 verse 7. For it is that the first, for it, sorry, for if that first covenant has been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So all three scriptures, thanks guys, done well. All three scriptures are relating to the new covenant. The first is where Jesus declares it's um, coming into effect. And the, the um, two in Hebrew uh, are showing that the new covenant is a better covenant. It came to replace the old covenant. So this morning I want to talk about that, the new covenant and how it affects our life and what, what it means for us. So it said in Hebrews 8 verse 7 that basically the old covenant was weak and useless. Okay, say that, weak and useless. Why is that? Because it was dependent upon human obedience. And as you know, human obedience is erratic, it's frail, we can do it for a while, but then things get in the road and it's dismissed. I can prove it to you. How many of you have ever committed 
with all the best intentions to a, a diet or an exercise regime. Can let's be honest. At some stage, we've committed to an exercise regime or a diet with all the best intentions. But guess what? You end up failing. You end up, the commitment goes, it gets too hard, and it ends up falling away. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so it was the same with the, the Old Covenant. When It was interesting when, um, when Moses went up the mountain and was speaking with God, he came back down to the people and their response is, yes, we will do it. Go and talk to God, we will do it. Yeah, right. They probably did it for about a week at most and then things started happening and fell away. If you look at their journey, the first day they come out of Egypt, set free from Pharaoh's rule, who reckons they would have been pretty pumped walking out of Egypt? I reckon they would have been pretty happy high-fiving each other, slapping each other on the back, saying, way to go, God. This is going to be awesome. Okay, so that's day one. Day 25, they come to the shores of the Red Sea. In actual fact, when you look at, when you study the journey, uh, Moses takes them down the shoreline of the Red Sea and he passes the point where they, where they are going to cross. But he walks right past it and keeps going down the, down the shore. And then after a few days, he turns them around and brings them back. Now you can imagine the confusion. They're going, hey, Moses, what are you doing? Are you lost or something? Didn't we come this way? Why are we going back? And as they're looking around, they're scratching their head, wondering what's going on. And they see, they see the cloud of dust in the horizon. And they realise to their dismay and panic that it's the Egyptians coming after them. And they're crying out to Moses, Moses, what are you doing to us? Why have you brought us out here to die at the hands of the Egyptians? Why didn't you leave us in, in Egypt? So all that joy and all that, that wonder and all that yahooing about God's salvation from Egypt went out the window in a matter of three weeks. But as you know the story, I don't have to dwell on it much. The story is that they, they were rescued from the hands of the Egyptians. They went through the Red Sea. They made it to the other side. And again, when you read the story, it's a time of joy. It's a time of cheer. They're all singing the praises of God. They're slapping each other on the back saying, we did it, we're out of here. Day 51, they come to Mount Sinai. God says to Moses, tell the people I want to meet with them. Tell the people I want to have a talk to my nation. So he says, consecrate yourselves for three days and set up a meeting. So Moses did that and the Israelites obeyed. They set themselves apart for three days and God met with them. He called Moses up to the mountain. On day 53, Moses goes up to the mountain and he remains there for 40 days. 40 days he spends with God. So this is about two months after their liberation. 
Now, towards the end of that time, you're starting to hear grumbles. You're starting to hear people you know, speak, where's this Moses? Where's he gone? He's left us alone. We're here now, out in the desert. What are we going to do? Who are we going to follow? As for this Moses bloke, we don't even know if he's still alive. And so they grab Aaron by the ear and say, Aaron, make us a god that we can follow. Now, I'm not sure how keen Aaron was, but he relented and he gave in to their demands and he made them the golden calf. We all know the story. And God sees this. He says, basically, and I'm paraphrasing this from Exodus 32, verse 7. God says to Moses, Hey, Moses, you better go back down the mountain, back to the people. I can see they've gone feral. So within three months, people, we've gone from um, liberation from Egypt, rescuing from the hands of the Egyptians at the Red Sea, great miracles in their sight, to where they're following and worshipping a false idol. All the hands up in the air, you know, golden calf, golden calf, here's the one we're going to follow, singing praises to this golden calf. And you want to tell me that humans are not frail and weak? And that's why the old covenant failed, because it was dependent upon human obedience. Now we can sit here and judge them. We can sit here and, and think, you know, we would have done things differently. We would have waited for Moses. Uh-uh. No, you wouldn't have. You would have been up the front, hands in the air, worshipping the golden calf, just like the rest of them. We would know different. So we have to understand that God needed to implement something better, something that was fail, fail safe. So God foreknew this would happen, this would be the case. But it reveals to us, it is revealed to us as an example. It shows us the frailty of human nature. It shows us that even if God had implemented the perfect covenant with us from the beginning, we would not have appreciated his grace and his mercy. We would have become proud. We would have not listened to him, saying, we don't need Jesus, we can do this. We can do this on our own. But history shows us time and time again that humanity cannot meet God's requirements on their own. We need a saviour. We need someone to take our place. That in our weakness, we can have perfect strength. And that comes through Jesus Christ. The Old Covenant gives us true appreciation for the mercy and grace of God. Now, the scripture that I've been uh, sharing uh, a bit over the last few weeks, and... I just want us, with that as a foundation, I want us to look at this scripture anew and see how God can reveal something fresh to us. And that scripture is found in 2 Corinthians 1.20. And it says, 
For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him we speak the Amen to the glory of God. A wonderful scripture, one that gives us great hope and great peace in times of trials. So when we look at it in the context of Old Covenant and New Covenant, we gain a greater appreciation for what Jesus has done for us. For no matter how many promises God has made, and he's made a few, has anyone ever counted them up? No. But depending on what source you want to quote, there's anywhere between five and 8,000 promises in the Bible that God has made to us. And this scripture is saying in 2 Corinthians that each one of them is yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. In the new covenant they are yes. They are fulfilled. It is a done deal. Can you say that with me? It is a done deal. In Christ every promise is a done deal. You see, because the Old Covenant was between God the Father and the nation of Israel, he said, I will do this if my children do that. We look at uh, Deuteronomy 27, I think it is, where it outlines the blessings and the curses. All that was reliant upon the obedience of the nation of Israel. God was basically saying, if you do the right thing, you'll be blessed. If you don't do the right thing, you're going to be cursed. It was all based on human obedience. But God knew there had to be a better way. There needed to be a better way. Because I tell you, we are weak and at times we are useless. If we're trying to do it in our own strength, if we're trying to do it through our own well-intended commitment to it, we invariably end up failing. I see that in my own life, and I know you can relate to that in your own life. But God said, if there was nothing wrong with the old one, why did he have to bring in something new? And it's exactly because the old covenant was flawed. The new covenant, however, was something that was between God the Father and God the Son. We had no say in it. We, had, we weren't even brought to the negotiating table. It was between God the Father and God the Son. And God the, Father, God the Son said to, to God the Father, I will do this to fulfill every requirement you need. And so that was done. Jesus came to the earth. He lived his life. He went to the cross, died a brutal death, rose from the grave and in it fulfilled every requirement of the law. Everything that we needed to do, Jesus did it for us. Every debt we had to God, Jesus paid it for us. It was fulfilled. We cannot add anything to it. You look at the word fulfilled. Full and filled. Can you add anything to something that is filled, that is full. 
No. It is done. It is there. And all we need to do is say Amen. All we need to do by faith is agree that Jesus has done it for us. It is a wonderfully liberating thought that we don't have to try anymore. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. End of story. Not by your works so that you can boast. God knows us. If we could do it through our own effort, we would get to a position where we would say, hey, look at me, look how good I am. Look what I have been able to achieve. But it's not where it's at. It's a matter of saying the deal is done, I'm going to accept it. So no matter what promise you're hanging on to, what that matter where you are with God in your journey, if there is a promise that has been revealed to you, you just need to hang on to it because it's a done deal. You don't have to add anything to it. I've been through this struggle. I've been through the mental gymnastics that this... Um, leads us to you know right after my stroke I had all the the questions God why is this happening to me God why why aren't I getting better why is my body still afflicted by this you know where I'm coming from and I started going down the road well what do I have to do God do I have to pray more so that my healing will come? Do I have to read my Bible more so that my healing will come? You even get to the stage, and you know, you're going to relate. You get to the stage where you say, well, God, if my healing comes, I'm going to promise to do this. And we make bargains with God, don't we? We bargain with God. We say, God, if this happens in my life, then I'm going to do this. And God just mercifully shakes his head and thinks, oh, my child. I know you're, it's good intentions, but... So we need to rest. You have to come to a place where you can rest and say, God, I know your promise is a done deal. I know it's true in my life. And I eagerly await the manifestation of that promise in my life. So whether it's provision in your life, whether it's healing... Whatever promise God has given to you, just rest in the knowledge that it's a done deal. And we can say, yes, I'm going to hang on to it. Yes, in Jesus' name, it is so. So through him the amen is spoken by us. When we speak the amen, what we are basically saying is that we agree to the certainty of it, we agree to the truth of it. We're basically saying, it is so, so be it. When Jesus said, it is finished, what he was saying was, everything that was needed to be done has been done, and every requirement that needed to be fulfilled has been fulfilled. There is no more to be done. I have left nothing undone. There was a chap getting around a while ago. Um, his name was Moon. 
he had a big cult following after him. But basically his premise was that he was the, the one to come after the Messiah. He was basically the Messiah to come and for, to finish off what the first Messiah did not finish. He saw Jesus' death as a loss, not a victory. His theology was that Jesus had left things undone and he had come, God had sent him to fulfill the rest of it, to bring it to completion. Utter rubbish. Utter heresy. Jesus completed everything on the cross and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. My friends, if you have doubt about whether God's promise is real for you in your life, take heart. It is real. It is complete. It is a done deal. Just hold on in faith. Hold on in faith. It is to the glory of God. Jesus said, If you love me, you will follow my command. If there is commands to be followed, it is in response to our love for Jesus, not in response to twist God's arm into giving us something. So if we're going to do things in order to please God and get something from him, we're starting on the wrong foot. It's not the right motive. But if we are going to want to, if our desire is to follow Jesus and follow his command because we love him, then that is the right motive. That is what we need to have in our heart as a motive to follow his commands. And what are his commands? Well, here's just a few. John 3.7 says, You must be born again. That is a command. Mark 11 says, forgive others as I have forgiven you. Forgive others. That is a command of Jesus. A command in John 15 is remain in him. Matthew 5 says to shine your light. It is a command of Jesus for you to shine your light. What is to shine your light? It is to expose the nature of Christ in your life. Expose the nature of God in your life. That is shining your light. Okay? If you ever think you're going to forget that command, just remember that little song we used to sing in Sunday school. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, come on, you know it. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. These three boys here didn't go to Sunday school, eh? (laughs) Don't know it? (laughs) It's all good. Shine your light. Why? So that people may praise your Father in heaven. It's all about the glory of God. Every promise that comes true in our life is about giving God the glory. It's all by him, for him, and to him. The promises of him.
Matthew 7 says, do not judge. We are not in a position to judge others. He says, if you judge, I'm going to judge you. Matthew 25 says, care for those in distress. John 15 says, love one another. Luke 22, regularly remember Jesus' sacrifice. Matthew 28, the command is to share the good news. His promise is that he will be always with us. And what is the good news, folks? The good news is the the greatest promise of all. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation, my friends, the greatest promise God has to offer. Not based on our obedience. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he gave it to us because Jesus was obedient. Jesus went to the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. This is the greatest promise we have. Something that we need to grab hold of. Something we need to commit to in faith. Something we need to say, yes, Lord, I believe that you died for me. That my sins have been forgiven. Ephesians tells us it is by faith you have been saved through grace. No, the other way around. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own works, otherwise you would boast. We don't do it by obeying God's commands. We can't twist God's arm by praying more or reading the Bible more. By doing more good deeds, we do that out of love for God and our love for one another, yes. But we don't do it to twist God's arm. That comes by faith in what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has done when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Every requirement needed by the law of Moses has been fulfilled. We need to get a revelation of that, my friends. Otherwise, we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep striving. We can't keep thinking, am I doing this? Am I good enough? What more do I have to do? What price do I have to pay in order to see God's promise come to pass in my life? And it's not where he's at. It's not where God's at. He saw our weakness. He saw our frailty. He saw that we would fall short every single time. But he fulfilled the promises. He fulfilled the requirements that are needed. So now we have the opportunity to say yes. Salvation is a definite yes in Christ. We just need to say the amen. And here this morning we can say that amen. Here this morning, if Jesus, if you have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour, now is the morning to say yes to him. Now is the time when God is calling. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to 
pay any price other than to acknowledge, as I said, confess with your mouth, Jesus is your Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's it. If you want to do that this morning, I invite you to come and we're going to pray with you. We're going to pray. We're going to ask Jesus to become part of your life. We're going to pray a prayer of salvation. And we're going to see the power of God work in your life. We're going to see him move mightily. In that promise that God said, draw me to me and I will draw me to you. It reminds us of the parable of the lost son. When the son had come to his senses and he was starting to slowly walk back to his father's house, he was probably shuffling along, mumbling, head down, embarrassed about what had happened. But the father saw him and he ran. He ran, my friends, and that's God. That's showing us a picture of God. We can come, we can be shy, you know, we can shuffle forward. But when you make that move, God will run to you. He'll run to you and he will meet with you. So I want to offer that, that invitation right now to anyone here who might want to come to God and say, Lord, I believe in your promise of salvation. I believe what you have done for me is real. And I need your salvation in my life because I can't do it on my own. I've tried many times and I've failed many times. But I want to come to you and accept what you've done for me. It's as simple as coming and accepting that here this morning. So let's just close our eyes and bow our heads as we pray and finishing up. And as I'm praying, if you want to come forward, just come forward quickly. We're not going to spend much time on this. If God is speaking to your heart, then respond to that call. Respond to that prompting. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I thank you, Father, that we can come before you. We can humbly accept what you have done for us. We can confess with our mouths, Lord, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Jesus, that you've done it all for us. Lord, that we, we do not have to add to it. We do not have to do anything more because there is nothing more to do. You have done it all for us. Lord, we accept this morning that the deal is done, that everything the Father required of us to live eternally in his presence has been fulfilled by you at the cross. We acknowledge that in our hearts here today, Lord, and we respond in faith. In Jesus' name.